have I told you about the dress that I think is a signifier that America is headed in a more conservative direction? (laughs) Not yet, but I am eager to hear your thoughts. It's this very specific dress. You've seen it. Mm -hmm. It's this puffy sleeve. Oh my God. I know exactly what you're talking about already. (laughs) That kind of light cotton sheer Mm -hmm. fabric. Yep. With the little string bow in the middle. The puffy sleeve floral dress epidemic. It's a dress that every white woman in New York gets brunch in in the springtime. That dress was like a black crow descending (laughs) upon us two years ago when every dress at Target started to look like Little House on the Prairie. It is one of the essential influencer silhouettes. You know, I can just see an Instagram slide of like it's it's lemon water in a mason jar a tiny salad on a white plate in a cafe you know a picture of like a page in a book and then you know of course a mirror selfie of a woman named Alexis wearing that dress there's just something like really socially conservative about that dress (laughs) like it just gives a right wing there's something really fucking barefoot and pregnant about it Mm -hmm. yes very have as many children as God allows even the ones you don't want (laughs) right I feel like Sydney Sweeney has worn that dress like many times oh i'm sure it does make anyone's tits look good though a lot of outfits can make your tits look good i wear push-up bras halter tops and mini skirts to accentuate my degenerate cosmopolitan college educated (laughs) hollywood figure personally i don't care what you're wearing if you're hot and you don't mind that i have a podcast we can hook up at least once and at most twice i'm evangelia and i'm emily and welcome to what's gonna happen So this episode is for the girls, the dolls, the femmes, the Lana Core, Lolita, Coquette, Baby Doll, Dress Pastel, Pink, Porcelain, Grandma Core babes. It is also for the clean girls, the Pilates princesses, and the stay-at-home girlfriends. (laughs) Yes, shout out to you guys. Um, It's also for anyone who is curious about how these aesthetics, or, you know, the lifestyles, as some may call them, are being capitalized on by white supremacy, misogyny, and the slowly creeping anti-intellectualism movement, because it can never just be fun on this podcast. No. (laughs) Um, Basically, there have been a series of subcultures, aesthetics, suffix, cores. It's so interesting how, like, cores like the word core has developed from a descriptor suffix to like a new way of organizing micro subcultures. I mean, subcultures that I guess predominantly exist online because cores are more of an aesthetic and a way of expressing your presence than like actually participating in a community the way that subcultures do. Core is like the gray area between aesthetic and subculture. Yeah, for sure. It's more personal and individual. You know, if you are coquette core, you're not part of a bigger community necessarily. I mean, you know, maybe the anorexia community or the DDLG community, but that's besides the point. Right. Being parts of other subcultures have social expectations, whereas being a core is just like... Yeah, like goths and scene kids and ravers and all those subcultures revolve around doing things and going places and engaging with other people. Whereas like, you know, nowadays we're seeing more people kind of exist in their own vacuums. The increased importance of aesthetics, you know, and cores and all that kind of perpetuates the question of what kind of person are you? Or, you know, in the context of what we're talking about, what kind of girl are you? Not what kind of movement you belong to, but like, but what kind of girl are you? I think that's a really good point. There's this pattern we've been seeing in a lot of cores and aesthetics recently that kind of centers a very traditional type of femininity. Mm -hmm. Like, 
stay-at-home girlfriends promote being a homemaker, the obsession with Catholicism, and while you can be religious and progressive, some traditional sentiments definitely pop up amongst all this. Yeah, like I don't want it to come across like either of us are saying there's anything wrong with embracing hyperfemininity or being a homemaker or being into religion. I mean, you know, us queers have been into all that stuff from the jump. I honestly think that my biggest problem in all of this is in the ways that some of these aesthetics really glorify like attributes of white femininity, you know, pale skin, the focus on being super thin and not being curvy, you know, just the general frailness and infantilization that white women have been aligned with throughout history. A lot of it is in like it's this indulgence of, of self-victimization that's unique to white women because of how they've been protected throughout history. You know, the idolization of self-harm and bruises and eating disorders and all that stuff. Like, those things, while they're experienced by women everywhere, of course, the marketing of them is, like, cute or pitifully beautiful. It's, it's a pretty white thing to do. And I, I can say all this, by the way, because, you know, I'm technically a white woman who self-harmed and had eating disorders. So just, you can take it from me. The very idea that female suffering is, like, cute or aesthetic or cunt and not that it's indicative of a systemic problem that we need to face. Yeah, like that's definitely a big issue. You know, I think speaking as somebody who was avidly on Tumblr as a tween and early teen, the thing is like, you feel like it's a reclamation of the abuse women are put through. Like, if you glamorize it, you can take control of the narrative. It's that, like, you can't hurt me because I can make it beautiful when you do, and I can enjoy it then, and then I have the power. You know, I hate my body, but I can make changing it my passion, and I, and then I have a will to live. You can leave bruises on me. I can put a filter on it and post it online, and then it's my art. It's a form of giving up that also gives this false sense of agency. You know, and that's, of course, super hard to crawl out from under oh for sure all of these aesthetics are just different ways of saying it's not cool to be like an outspoken feminist and that's better it's cooler to just be a victim yeah i mean in a way it's not necessarily that women don't want to identify as feminist i think you know we're past kind of denouncing feminism i think it's more like as a white woman if you want to keep being palatable to white men but you have a resentment towards the patriarchy and the injustice of the world. The best way it seems to subvert that norm while still benefiting from privilege is to give into this kind of like wounded lamb aesthetic. It's not cool to be a straight cis white feminist because a lot of the time coolness revolves around the standards of the people you're trying to surround yourself with. And for straight cis women, the people they're surrounding themselves with are straight cis men. But then again, a lot of those men don't necessarily find the extremes of coquette attractive. And alternatively, we do see a lot of lesbians and bisexual coquette girls too. I mean, Lana Del Rey, who's oftentimes named as the figurehead of coquette, is like half the lesbians I know favorite singer. Well, no matter if you're gay or straight or cis or trans, it feels like it's much cooler these days to be disaffected than to be righteous. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that is true. Yes, that like giving in aspect of coquette that we're talking about, you know, kind of. And I, I don't want to make it sound like coquette is just about like self-harm and eating disorders. Like, of course, there's like a <laughs> whole... Uh, I mean, what do you mean? There's like, there's, it's a whole aesthetic. I mean, you know, you guys can look more into it and like see what it kind of embodies. Like, I get it, the claiming of, of femininity, but you know, we're, like I said, we're not here to have fun. The aspect of giving in that we see in Coquette um, shows up in a lot of other aesthetics as well. It's not just Coquette. Right. I mean, not wanting to have to deal with the stresses of being a woman in the workplace. So you become a stay at home girlfriend and encourage other girls on TikTok to do it, too, to save themselves the stress. Not wanting to have to think about the suffering of the world. So you choose not to watch or read the news anymore. And as many girls are saying now, enter your bimbo era. 
<laughs> yeah, I I used to be, I think, like more on board with bimboism. You know, if you listen to our very first episode, Emily kind of predicted bimboism devolving into what it has now. Hell yeah. But I argued for the bimbos, you know, and I still do partially because they're hot, but also because I do think there is something to like wearing bimboism as an aesthetic and using it as an excuse to not have to explain yourself or prove yourself to men who question, you know, women's worth or intellect based on if they put a lot of effort into their appearance. Like, I just think that's unfair. Men are always trying to gotcha women. You know, if, if you like that band name, five of their songs, you probably don't even play video games or pose, or, you know, you've probably never heard of this movie before. Like, all that bullshit. Like, you know, when a guy asks if you've ever heard of Quentin Tarantino and you say no, even if you do, just to throw them off and like decenter male interest, which I think is based. Yeah, I think that's hilarious. Just being like, you know, I don't care. Don't explain it to me. Like, that's kind of the attitude that I think bimboism could have. I saw a TikTok of this girl who was like explaining how she watched Fight Club for the first time with this guy and she guessed the plot twist immediately despite never having seen the movie. And it made him like, like genuinely angry. Yeah, that's what being a bimbo should be about. Not knowing or caring about a film, but also being able to guess the plot twist instantly. Bimboism is like the anti-mansplain. It can be a great rejection of male pseudo-intellectualism and the embrace of girliness in all the ways it's grotesque to guys. But it only works that way if privately you're stimulating your own intelligence. You know, bimboism as a performance of gender is a great thing, but as a rejection of the complexity of the world and like genuine anti-intellectualism, that's where you kind of lose me. I think the anti-intellectualism thing is actually scary. No, me too. It's like totally a product of compassion fatigue, being overwhelmed with information and like a rejection of the female urge to care too much, which can feel like a feminist action, you know, to denounce that, that expectation of us. But really it just goes so far in the opposite direction that it has the same outcome in the article the smartest women i know are all disassociating by emmeline klein she kind of speaks to that idea of the disaffected tired of caring woman and she says quote the disassociated girl of fleabag might be the cool girl or the chill girl's cousin the same way the desperate girl of girls might be the hysterics while the hysteric shrieks the chill girl speaks slowly raspy she is coughing on the weed smoke i have heard boys describe her as down this is a chilling adjective for the chill girl it requires that she have no conflicting plans of her own no strong desires to counter his at its entomological core down means subjugation is a chill girl laid back? Maybe. But she is probably also pretending and bored, end quote. So this is kind of a reaction, I feel, to that late 2000s, early 2010s era of feminism, like the girl boss, BuzzFeed, Lena Dunham era of feminism. Mm-hmm, for sure. Yeah, that's a great article. And I really resonate with a lot of it. A lot of us in our little lesbian group chat are constantly joking about like being lobotomized and not wanting to deal with anything anymore and all that. It seems like the shrill demanding to be heard nature of that phase of pussy hat white feminism is kind of dying out and being replaced with like the post leftist benzoed out hot girl. And there is one woman who started this. <laughs> if there's any post left hot girl who sounds like she's on benzos, it has to be Dasha, Dasha Nekrasova, of course. Dasha Nekrasova is to blonde Catholic anorexic girls that post online too much what Hugh Hefner is to heterosexual Halloween costumes. <laughs> yep, just a violent perpetrator and an unfortunately strong influence. Exactly. And I've been both an anorexic girl and I dressed as Hugh Hefner for Halloween one year. Wow, so. the two genders. Exactly. 
I I do remember that costume. You wore it to school. I did wear it to school. And when I walked out of school, I immediately chugged Bacardi because I thought it would be funny in my costume. And then just like instantly threw up, passed out on the street and got alcohol poisoning for three days. Hugh Hefner would have been proud and probably raped you. That is true. Um, My parents definitely were not proud. Well, yes, Dasha Nekrasova, <laughs> co-host of the infamous podcast Red Scare. Yes, our Roll. sister podcast, our, according yeah, to Apple recommendations. Pod. The thing with Dasha is like that was maybe even more intentional than that of Miss Lana Del Rey herself. Right. In the corralling of leftist white women into this complacent, disaffected mindset. <laughs> I have a thing or two to say about Dasha. Actually, recently, get ready for this because it's kind of stroke inducing. I recently saw a post on Depop, which is a clothing resale app for those of you that are listening right now that are, you know, old. Um, But yeah, but it's a listing, not for a clothing item, but for a Catholic confession penance orchestrated by, you know, whichever teenage girl has this account. And it goes, I'll read it. It goes, I am now offering to perform Catholic confession penance to any fellow angels interested in Roman and Eastern Orthodox Catholicism with a kissy emoji. She offers her qualifications to this, which include that she went to Catholic school, her uncle was a priest, and she, quote, performs all penances at a holy table all while kneeling, end quote. (laughs) And it ends with her saying, um, to absolve one of their sins, will cleanse their spirit and guardian angel, as well as increasing their chances of getting into heaven with a bow emoji, a heart, and ballet slippers, you know, as the coquette girlies do. And the hashtags on this post are hashtag angelcore, hashtag coquette, hashtag lolita, hashtag dash and akrasova, hashtag redscare, hashtag tradwife, hashtag aesthetic phone, bambi russian slavic bimbo core. Holy shit. Yeah, none of those words are in the Bible. Um, but it is $5 per penance if anyone is interested. I feel like that's like heretical. <laughs> like, is she like certified to do that? Like, I, I mean, feel like that's not allowed. She does it all on her knees, so it doesn't really matter. Her <laughs> uncle is a priest. Women and he, do a lot of things on their knees. I think that doesn't was the point. I do think that was the point of why she said that. I think there is like a sexualization aspect of it. All of those posts that are like coquette, they're they're all like that. The kind of posts online that just list soft girly things the way those hashtags do, they almost 100% of the time include Dasha's name. Mm-hmm. She's just a huge driving force in all this to the point where it's like a meme in the community. The Red Scare Girls were like very cynical leftists, but they were leftists, which is why this is kind of hard because it's like, we're one of you, but they just went so far into their cynicism that they got pretty right wing. And it's like, are they even aware of the impact of the rhetoric? Like, I think it's extremely apt that the other host of the show, Anna Hackian's Twitter bio is, I've leaned in and I can't get up. <laughs> They've leaned into the bit so hard that it's engulfed them. And it's having real impacts on how people think unfortunately yeah yeah it's like they had an edge you know which kind of deviates from a lot of the soft leftists or the sjw's the snowflakes that we see mocked in media you know they were they were more respectable to a wider audience at first because they weren't as you know serious or offended as other women who had similar leftist beliefs you know but then they got carried away in their pick-me-ism, probably because they did get picked by Peter Thiel, the gay right-wing German billionaire who chose to finance their show. I feel like in an alternate universe, no. A parallel universe. (laughs) Everything is the same, except that I am a gay German right-wing billionaire. (laughs) I feel like a kind of a kinship with Peter Thiel. Like, I feel... (laughs) I just feel like 
like that could so easily be me like a slight shift. it is you know it is camp i kind of get that i love that for you <laughs> and i hope that in in that world i'm your gay german billionaire confidant who you have a podcast with and it's it's probably it would probably only be slightly more annoying than this one if at all right <laughs> yeah so the Red Scare girls definitely were dirtbag leftists that went too far. And, you know, for those of you who don't know, dirtbag leftists who also refer to themselves as the anti-identity politics left are basically a movement that's a response to the influx of like highly aggressive liberal discourse that we've been talking about. You know, these are the people who identify themselves as leftists but are tired of fighting their part in the chaos of modern identity politics. Instead... Of course, they decide to harbor their resentment as irony. But that is such a slippery slope. And slippery slopes end in becoming right-wing like an unnerving amount of the time. Oh, for sure. I mean, we, we see a lot of documentation of how this happens on the internet to guys, mostly. Like, we've even talked on this podcast about the alt-right pipeline and how it targets incels and men who are dealing with identity crises. You know, what gets talked about a lot less, and maybe because it is more of a quiet, kind of, like, insidious thing, is how this happens to women. Yeah, like, girls can be brainwashed into being fascists, too. Like, don't be misogynistic. Mm-hmm. Yeah, equality. It is equality. And, um, and it makes sense that... Not not only men would be exhausted by the left. I mean, I even get exhausted by the left on a daily basis. The problem is that people who fall into and remain in the dirtbag left community evidence real resentment towards leftist overreach and cancel culture to the point where they gravitate incrementally towards politically incorrect humor, you know, which I get it, but like they do it as a form of rebellion, I guess. And, and that's the case with like a lot of different internet communities. You know, they start off as a group fueling each other's jokes and they end up into a channel of like actually resentful individuals breeding genuine hatred. Yeah, it's like joking about piss kinks. It's all fun and games until your whole search history is woman pissing herself in yoga pants. Yeah. Wait, yeah no that's that's what i'm worried about oh, they're gonna find us out no way this is the third time <laughs> it like almost definitely is no it 100 percent is yeah as someone who's edited all of them, it definitely is <laughs> well then <laughs> um anyways <laughs> didn't you see dasha live recently i did I, I really, really did. <laughs> I went up to the Yale Political Union to see a debate where Dasha was a guest. The debate was about whether or not political polarization is good. Hmm. Yeah, so I <laughs> went up on the train for two hours to Connecticut to see this, you know, as any unemployed person would do at 3 p.m. on a Tuesday. And... <laughs> I could not help but notice a few things about Dasha's speech. They had the room split up, and it was actually very corny in my opinion, but the left-wing people were on the left side of the room, middle were in the middle, and right on the right. Now, we had the great fortune of being sat behind the right-wing people. Everything that Dasha said got cheers and hoots coming from the right side, and not, like nothing coming from the left. Wow. Now, and let me just say this off the bat. All the right-wing guys wanted to fuck her. Okay? And she was doing this kind of, like, gross, pathetic thing where she was kind of playing into it. Like, they were, like, swarming her, and she was blushing, egging it on, being like, oh, guys. Like, it was really, it was weird. Like, Doja Cat and all those alt-right Discord chats showing the incels her feet. Yeah, exactly. Like, they were really into her. They were swarming her. She mentioned the Taliban at one point, and somebody cheered. The Yale <laughs> right-wingers were very weird. They, like... We're all black 
a lot of them like it was kind of goth almost <laughs> why do you think that is is it like they were trying to be edgy or yeah you could definitely tell they used to be like alternative edgy bernie bros but yeah somebody asked dasha at one point like you believe in objective truth yet we live in a country where you can deny the holocaust and before she could finish the question the room erupted like in an uproar people holy like, shit like they don't believe in that like they thought it was debatable that the holocaust like i mean somebody brought it up and people went wild like i don't know the way they all started freaking out and reacting and raising their hands to say something it was you'd think somebody asked raise your hand if anybody wants to work for a big four consulting firm and move to Tribeca <laughs> like the yellow kids were wild one guy literally raised his hand and asked why dehumanizing people was bad there were multiple people who got up on stage and said poor people shouldn't be involved in politics it's like they think they can debate like real lived human experiences it's so exciting exhausting yeah there was this one girl who said to dasha like i came up here from new york which was a relief to me because i made me realize that i was not the only one crazy enough to do this <laughs> um she was like i came up here from new york and my friend is mad at me for it because red scare markets conservatism to white women in a sexy way what do you think of that and dasha got really awkward and started stumbling on her words like you know i went with gia and i remember turning to gia at that point being like she does not know what to say i honestly don't think anyone has ever said that to her face before like that where she kind of has to respond hmm. um her answer basically boiled down to her saying that you know she likes to be sexy and extremity is sexy but the left isn't sexy there is a left extreme too though like but I, I guess that's not as sexy to her right exactly the whole experience in general was a real watershed moment for me because I was like how did any of these people get into Yale like, these people are so stupid. That's when I realized the Ivy League was fake. Yeah, I had a suspicion that it was, but I'm glad you were able to confirm it at a debate with Dasha Nekrasova. Yeah. Their irony poisoning definitely has a real effect on real people. Yeah, she denounces the use of sunscreen. And as a white woman, that's only going to hurt her. She doesn't believe in climate change, or does she? I don't know. She said at the debate that she doesn't. Might have been joking. Who knows? She dabbles in vaccine skepticism. Anna, the other her co-host, host, yeah. got an autoimmune disease from getting COVID without being vaccinated. That was also a watershed moment for me because that's when I realized, like, oh, my God, the Red Scare girls actually believe what they're saying. Like, I thought they were just grifters, but no, like, they're actually that stupid. Mm -hmm. Like, they were in the position where they could have made leftism sexy, but it wasn't as easy. So they just, like, switched teams. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. But the so the dirtbag left, though, isn't something that Anna and Dasha started themselves. It is like something that existed before them. No, I just like to blame women for all my problems. <laughs> um, I'm just I'm just as bad as everybody else we're talking about. Hey, that's why we get to talk about them. <laughs> um, no, the dirtbag left or the anti-identity politics left mm -hmm. started mostly in subreddits like r slash chat r slash chuanon or the original dirtbag left platform r slash chapo trap house which was notably banned for violating community guidelines for hate speech mm -hmm. um on the more extreme side their core belief is that elites are promoting intersectionality in order to insert wedges between various sectors of the general public dividing and conquering in the vein of social fascism by preying on the issues of race gender or sexuality they're actually activating their scheme to disempower the masses by generating a climate of fear silence censorship and paranoia sound familiar yeah. 
um, that's definitely like the extreme side. I think those sentiments yes. are like they trickle down. Very through. extreme. Yes. But yeah. but yeah, you know, I think while their philosophy is kind of based on the idea that the left needs to be united and strengthened and like the fact that they're so weak is because they're not like they end up actually diminishing the importance of paying attention to the systems of oppression that affect people's identities. Yeah, podcasts like Red Scare that are targeted to white queer people and women use that kind of subversive and corrosive language that caters to Reddit and 4chan users. Yeah, so they kind of like rope in social conservatives and indoctrinate people that might not have been socially conservative or have gone down that path to begin with because they're using the language that guides you in the direction towards like that more extremist stuff. The Red Scare Girls, their views are kind of diametrically opposed. Like, they believe in universal health care, but they're also blatant promoters of anorexia and bulimia. They're pro-choice, but they denounce the use of non-binary pronouns. Anna was definitely the driving force in turning them right-wing. So she, so she's pro-life and Dasha is pro-choice. Politics don't really matter to them that much. There, yeah. is, there are photographs of them hanging up an SS flag in Dasha's house. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, they have that line of ISIS-themed merch. Yeah, which I honestly, like, okay, I would make that. Yeah. <laughs> like, I'm not here to say, like, I can be, I, my language caters to people who use Reddit and 4chan. Like, mm-hmm. I, they're definitely, some of this is, like, I, I, yeah, I used to be a fan of the podcast. Me and Gia were fans of Red Scare, okay? Like, don't think that I'm saying that I'm above White. this. White. That's where you're white. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, yes. Um. Yeah. I mean, you know, they, they have a cult following and they, they keep a, a large amount of their cult following. Maybe you guys dropped off, but a lot of people stick around because despite being canceled, they stand by their beliefs and their statements and they don't take criticisms seriously, as is the point of the dirtbag left. You know, their their boldness is admired by those who resent the snowflake liberals, including other liberals. It's like, it's what we were talking about, that idea of the flea bag woman versus the Lena Dunham woman. Yeah, they're constantly bringing down other women. Like, they always make fun of female POC politicians, like, you know, AOC, Ilhan Omar, Rashida Tlaib, Ayanna Presley. They even, ironically, praise figures such as Donald Trump. Right, but the consistency with which they ironically praise Trump, you know, it borders on that kind of, I mean, they do have a point mentality. Yeah, I'm just asking questions. Right. The shift is subtle, but that leftist self-mockery slowly hardens into the traits of the far right. And that kind of search for authenticity that gets so many conservatives wet for people like Trump is the same search for authenticity that we see in our generation as a relief from this hyper-filtered, curated, edited, you know, internet experience that we all have. I think the nature of the Red Scare podcast, you know, the lack of editing, their quiet tones, their vocal fry, their audible and relatable nicotine breaks. You know, it all feels very genuine. The atmosphere of the show is set up to feel as though the listener is with friends who are so comfortable with them that they're not afraid to abandon all political correctness, which some would consider a novelty in, in our contemporary world. But, you know, anybody who has like a racist uncle at Thanksgiving knows that that's just like the reality of a lot of families in and people in America. I think it is the result of like the fatigue and like virtue signaling. It feels like a relief to like drop the act. To stop pretending. Right. To be like, okay, you guys, let's get real. I'm like, we, actually yeah, racist. We, we don't actually like people of color and, and gay people, right? Like that was that's all we just say <laughs> guys, what we it do. Was, it was a joke. It was right? a joke, right? It was a joke. <laughs> of course, like all this stuff is an indicator that there is an overwhelming number of people who do not feel represented by whatever political community they align themselves with. Like, the dirtbag leftists are unsatisfied with the approach their party is taking and feel as though they're 
freedoms are being taken away. The problem is all these politics are based on hatred and like a reaction to woke culture, which, you know, this hatred for like oppressive elites turns into sort of a right wing populism when it backfires against the very community they're trying to protect maybe even (laughs) though they accuse the ruling party of using identity politics as a divisive tactic they themselves end up upholding racist sexist and homophobic structures in a new yet strangely familiar way and there's a whole movement of women denouncing their wokeism now i just saw a post from uh tiktok user eleanori phoenix uh, which i heard that that username is a a right-wing dog whistle um, I don't know how, but I saw it in the comments. So. <laughs> um, but yeah, so it, her video is called From an Ex-Woke SJW. And the post goes, I used to try my utmost to be as woke as possible. I used to believe not being attracted to people outside your own race was racist. That not letting kids medically transition was transphobic. That calling people who had periods women is exclusionary. That sex work is empowering. That non-black people wearing box braids is cultural appropriation. I used to believe all that until I realized that a lot of explanations for these ideologies don't actually make sense, end quote. So she she goes on to, I, I don't know how to connect this without like reciting the whole like two minute long TikTok, but somewhere along the way, she goes on to categorize the races as Caucasoid, Mongoloid, Negroid, and Australoid, which is just like, why are you doing that? Like, what the fuck? Like, actually, <laughs> what the fuck? Was yeah. she, like, Australian? She was... I think she's she she's was South, South African, African that, that explains or uh, British. I, I saw it because I saw a stitch um, that this guy that I love on TikTok... I think his username is Egosius Stan account. I really love his account. But he, he called her a British chimp, which I love. Um, but So she might be British, but, yeah, I don't know. I... Yeah, I don't know. I Because, you know... When I first heard that, I was like, was she possessed by a 19th century Dutch race scientist? (laughs) But then you told me she was South African, and I was like, oh, she was possessed by a 19th century (laughs) Dutch race scientist. She goes on to denounce all her old woke beliefs with just like turfy white supremacist talking points. She's like, cultural appropriation isn't real. Kids shouldn't transition. We shouldn't use gender inclusive terms with regard to periods. She ends it by saying being woke and constantly seeing the world through hyperconscious views of oppression is going to make you miserable because it made me miserable end quote and and that has almost 60,000 likes boom there it is it's just this this thing of being so sick of caring and then you build this nihilistic worldview and then can't handle it and you want to justify not caring about it so you turn it on to woke culture and like the thing about her too is like I have a hard time believing she just like didn't want to put in the energy and stopped caring about being woke and it ended there because to use the language she used, you have to be indulging in some kind of like right wing yeah, like content. She, she didn't just stop caring. She right. like stopped she stopped caring, caring and then moved went on down this Reddit pipeline and that we're 4chan, talking about. Watched Europa the last battle. Yeah, probably. I have a hard time believing that she was an SJW using those terms. You know, like I, I think that's something she recently adopted. Since then, she's posted a video like, I didn't know those were bad terms. No way you didn't know. <laughs> yeah, I thought they were just like the scientific terms, like whatever. You must have seen at least one infographic saying, don't say mongoloid. I mean, it's just <laughs> common sense at this point. <laughs> 
Um, but yeah, you're right in what you were saying. Like they can't, people can't take their white guilt. So then they start policing everything in their heads to like prove themselves in that like colonizer way of like, I just learned about this. So this exists now and I need to enforce it with everything in me. They want to prove they're not just the bad white people. They're, they're spicy white people. <laughs> but then, you know, because they're white at the end of the day, they do internalize everything they're projecting and then they feel shackled themselves. Exactly. Now, I know we were talking about cores earlier, you know, aesthetics, lifestyles, but I don't want to confuse anyone. We're not saying all coquette girlies are falling into this. But as you can see, there is definitely a sort of pipeline that's developing between some of these online aesthetic groups and these beliefs. We focused a lot on coquette, but that's definitely not the only type of girl who's susceptible to this kind of thing. We see a lot of influencers popping up, especially on TikTok, that are promoting the stay-at-home girlfriend lifestyle. They post like these TikToks talks that follow their day in the life and just it's like super relaxed so like i wake up i sip my green juice i make my meal i go to yoga Mm -hmm. they're the jade rolling you know eating cbd gummies saging the house kind of girls which honestly is lit and i support a woman's right to chill i do too but a lot of these videos have an ad like quality about them and all of their content like promotes the positives of staying home while your boyfriend or husband works yeah, which is like, I, that can be okay, but it, the way it's being presented as an alternative to being involved in your community and the world around you, just like the, the focus of, of like all of your energy being put on your family unit, using your platform to reinforce a gender norm that's already so ingrained in the American collective consciousness. It's like a form of isolation within the comfort of white femininity. It's the middle class nuclear family ideal. And, you know, while it's totally up to each woman what she wants to do individually, spending all day documenting the benefits of the lifestyle just isn't the narrative that necessarily needs to be boosted, I think. Yeah, this one woman I always see on TikTok, like her username is literally at traditional S-A-H-M, which stands for stay-at-home mom. And she promotes to her 30,000 followers to, quote, only give provider men the time of day so you can at least have a choice, ladies. And the choice in question is to be a stay-at-home mom. The thing about stay-at-home girlfriends is that they don't even get to be on Quaaludes and Valium and Xanax all at the same time, all day, every day anymore, which was like the whole point of being a stay-at-home wife to begin with. You know, the scroll at traditional SAHM, she also has a TikTok where she says, quote, people will say they're worried about the next generation, but are a baby daddy slash baby mama. If the next generation was raised in an lo- educated, loving two-parent household with parents that care about contributing members of society, I can guarantee they would have quite a few less things to worry about, end quote. And then the hashtags were hashtag housewife, hashtag feminine energy, hashtag provider men, hashtag modern day feminism. <laughs> Jesus. You know, it feels racially charged too, especially because she's using the words baby daddy and baby mama, which are directly pulled from AAV. Oh, I know that was racially charged. Like also yeah. like modern day feminism. Give me a break, dude. It's it's that choice feminism bullshit that makes women think that we don't need to have any kind of unified agenda. Like, of course, you can choose to be a stay-at-home mom, but choosing to post shit like that is not feminism. Yeah, and the problem with it is that she's only, like, she, you, she may not think she's promoting this lifestyle or say that she doesn't think she's promoting this lifestyle, but by saying how great it is to be a stay-at-home mom all the time and posting all that shit and that's that, like, like being you a should baby be a mama, stay-at-home mom. Right, like, being a baby mama <laughs> is like the problem with like society like she's yeah, she's like, going that step further she is promoting that lifestyle she definitely thinks children need a provider father and a stay-at-home mother like the judgment yeah. is seething it's there 
Right. It's it's that judgment part that is the problem. It's that enforcement. And it's not just her showing off her happy life. She does obviously have some kind of an agenda or think she's like spreading the good word. You know, I also think it's really interesting that she hashtagged the video feminine energy. I think this idea that femininity is rightfully encapsulated by these patriarchal expectations of women and that like true femininity is a Eurocentric traditional femininity. That's just like so dangerous. And we see this femininity being generalized through this white lens, even in the way women identify with feminine rage. I love the idea that women are being praised for like unleashing their anger towards society. And personally, I think an angry woman is much better for the world than a complacent woman, as long as her anger is fueled by educated understanding and a drive for justice for women everywhere and not just like an isolated rage that we often see praise. You know, people love the movie Pearl. I like the movie Pearl, you know, but people love the character Pearl because she represents this unhinged, unapologetic woman. And I get it. I see that. But really, she's a murderer. And if you watch X, you see that she basically grows up to be a Karen, you know, someone who hates on younger women for their beauty and sex appeal because she envies them and she feels entitled to that. But a lot of white women don't see that part. They see the part where she's angry and crazy and they want the permission to feel that way too. So they put her on a pedestal the same way that, you know, they want permission to be apathetic or to stay home or to not educate themselves anymore. So they overlook all the downsides and just romanticize the easy side. Oh, for sure. For those of you that are not caught up on the what's going to happen lore. Last, <laughs> the lore. Yeah, the lore. We have lore at this point. Last summer, I went to CPAC because Victor Orban was speaking and my girlfriend and I went around asking people if they knew who Nick Fuentes was while getting progressively drunker on vodka lemonades. Um, <laughs> we were basically trying to gauge how much the far right was permeating mainstream conservatism. We have an episode all about that and you can check that out. Basically, people admitted to knowing who Nick Fuentes was, but there were four people who admitted to liking Nick Fuentes and out of those four people, two of them were women. Something I could not help but notice about these women was that they were so much more openly hostile towards us than the men. Like, when we were talking to the men, there was literally a point where we were just having a chill discussion over vodka lemonades. It was very chill given the circumstances. Whereas the women were clearly not happy that we even approached them. I do think part of it is that, like, you know, my girlfriend and I are also both women and they have internalized misogyny and they're going to be even more rude to us than maybe to the men here because they're like, why are you guys doing this? Like, what is going on? Why are you talking to me like you're a woman? You shouldn't be doing this. They might have felt that, you know, we as liberal females were setting back the movement. <laughs> right. The way that we think those kind of women are setting back the movement. Right. Exactly. They literally admitted to profiling us as Jewish before we even started talking. I mean, to be fair, I would be able to profile you as Jewish before you started talking to. And once you guys start talking, there's like no escaping the allegation. Did I tell you that at CPAC, there was a woman who turned to us completely unprompted and asked us if we went to CPAC Israel? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that checks out. Yeah. Yeah, it's true. So it's true. Um, but there was a real, like, ferocity in the women there. I spoke to a man at CPAC that said that he noticed that women in his conservative far-right circles are more engaged than the men are. Like, he was like, the women are so much more extreme. Like, I don't have any, like, statistical data on hand to support that conservative women are more passionate or aggressive about their beliefs. But I personally think that a lot of that comes down to, like, women are taught to sacrifice themselves, kind of like we were talking about in the codependency episode. Mm -hmm. Women are taught to sacrifice 
sacrifice for the greater good. Like they're taught, you know, you're going to have children, you're going to give your body, you're going to give your life. Um, and it kind of primes them to be much more likely to sacrifice themselves for political movements. Oh, yeah. Yeah. They they kind of have to also like overcompensate by working twice as hard to prove that they should be taken seriously by men, especially those kind of men that live in those circles. They might not see the problems with misogyny in their community, but that doesn't exempt them from it. It's just it's very pick me behavior. Being a far right woman is like the it's like the pick me behavior. Mm-hmm. It's like the most pick me thing a woman can possibly do. And like the thing is, these CPAC women are working to forward a movement that they know they're forwarding. Like they have an agenda. They're blatant about the fact that they're trad, that they're conservative, that they're whatever they are. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and they're and they're aware of how their traditionalism works in tandem with the patriarchy and with the traditional male agenda that we see in people like Andrew Tate. Whereas the stay-at-home girlfriend, trad GF model, it's way more insidious because it promotes all of those same values without the people who are consuming that content even realizing it because it's under the surface. Yeah, and that's because it's being sold to them. You know, see, at the end of the day, I think we all have to ask, where is this coming from? Of course, influencers are promoting this lifestyle, but not all of these influencers are like blatantly conservative women or even necessarily conservative at all. You know, how are the clean girls and the Pilates princesses getting roped into all of this? And my answer is that, well, it's being sold to them under the title of soft living. So can you explain what soft living is? Yes. So soft living or the soft life movement started as this idea of like being gentler with ourselves, focusing on self-care, drawing boundaries and how much information and what kind of information we're intaking. Basically, you know, all the stuff that we promote here on this podcast. But then, of course, it got absorbed into capitalism and turned into a way of selling women this stuff. So like the spiritual idea of caring for your body turns into here are the top 20 products I use to maintain my soft life. Or like taking time for meditation and self-care turns into that like spiritual materialism of needing to pay for the best Pilates studio subscription. You know, companies found a way of tapping into women's fundamental desire to start being more in tune with themselves and their bodies and turned it into an insatiable pit that can only be filled by product hoarding. And and it just inevitably gives women a reason to attach themselves to rich guys so they can spend their days self-caring in the name of that pursuit of contentment. Yeah, companies have been profiting off of self-care forever, but yeah, we're definitely seeing a rise in brands taking a self-care approach. We're seeing more makeup brands and stuff that are focusing on skincare rather than glam, like, you know, Glossier or its rip-off, milk makeup. It's not a rip-off. It's totally a rip-off. It's not a rip-off. Milk is first. Milk came first? So Glossier is the rip-off. They're neither of them are rip-offs. They're both, they're both good. Yeah. Well, they just both do that thing of like focusing on skincare and like self-care. <laughs> that it's a rip off. But yeah, I mean, they're you do very see that. Similar. I also don't think either of those brands promote social conservatism or exploit no, or take advantage. No, I don't advantage. think that either. But yeah, but yeah, we do see. We're seeing a lot of more endorsement of like vitamins and essential oils and juices and different types of yoga and working out and all that would be fine if it wasn't all being sold with this intention of helping you become that girl or a clean girl or a model off duty or a traditional girlfriend. Once we start attaching those labels we start creating that insatiable pit that you mentioned. Yeah, definitely. And, you know, this is not to say that companies are the only ones doing this. Like, I don't think companies like Glossier or Milk Makeup or anything have any kind of, like, ill intent. You know, I think that 
a lot of this is perpetrated by this kind of gorilla influencer thing we see. A gorilla as in gorilla warfare, not gorilla monkey. But Thank yeah, you for clarifying. Yes, yeah, of course. People are are so used to being sold things, so then they sell things to people, even if they're not making any money off of it, because you know they're trying to put people on, which is fine. I, I appreciate that, but it does it becomes kind of that self perpetuating system of like they're creating things that cater to us. We're selling these things to each other. You yeah. know what it is? What is it? Pyramid scheme. Mm, the modern day pyramid scheme. I mean, you can't say that they aren't committing to the bit. You know, housewives love a good pyramid scheme. Right, yeah. Like admiring influencers so you turn yourself into one by promoting products for free until you get enough clout to be sponsored the same way that the influencers are. But, you know, in reality, you're doing that free labor to perpetuate the system that's keeping you down. It's very pyramid scheme. I think you're, that, that was a great point. Um, and look, I'm not saying don't post your favorite product dupes or items that can help other women make their lives healthier or easier. I, I gain a lot from some of those videos. I think it's really about questioning what purpose it serves and if the shit that you're buying is really helping or not. Or if it's just like what you feel like you need to be the cleanest girl ever. It reminds me of the scene in Euphoria where uh, Sydney Sweeney is like obsessively compulsively doing her self-care to the point where it's like breaking her. Also, if someone is making money off what they're selling you, they're no different from an ad. Like, influencers' mm -hmm. whole job is to maintain that parasocial relationship with you to make you think that you're friends and you can trust them, but they're not your friends. They're just more invasive ads. Don't believe them any more than you'd believe an ad. Honestly, sometimes it's better to take product advice from the influencers that aren't sponsored by the brand they're promoting because at least you know there's some semblance of the truth. Yeah, like you might you might love Emma Chamberlain, but she is just a glorified version of the Geico lizard for all the brands that she promotes. You know, looking up honest reviews is really helpful. All of this is like the same cat and mouse game that we've been seeing with consumerism forever. I mean, the idea of buying things to be a better woman is not new. They've always been profiting from unattainable gender roles. It's it's like the oldest trick in the book. The whole point of advertisement is to sell people ideals. Yeah, but but now they've got this kind of sinister thing of getting us to sell each other the ideals too on what feels like a person-to-person -person level. You know, this is how they're handling, I guess, that lack of trust that our generation has in big corporations. And, and they get the added benefit of learning us better than they were ever able to in the past because of the algorithm. Definitely. Like, the goal of advertising now is to make things feel authentic. The less it feels like an ad, the better the ad. Yeah, and that's because we're constantly seeing these sneaky ads, you know, and so then, of course, we're starting to talk like them. We get women making promotional videos for being more traditional through their day-in-the-life videos in the same way that we see people selling makeup through makeup tutorials. And I feel like it's changing our brain chemistry and, like, how we're receiving information. Do you think that we're going to catch on to this the way that we caught on to traditional advertisement? I actually think it's already starting to happen. I think people are starting to complain about influencers constantly selling us stuff. Within the next 10 years, they'll find a new way to advertise to us. See, because, like, I don't know. I mean, I think we might see some pushback on it, and I've seen that too. But influencers are really prevalent still. They're a really good way of, like, in some ways ensuring diversity or ensuring a direct channel between a company and a generation. And it's a way of funneling your product to a demographic that's been pre-established by this person. Like, they've already come up with the audience. It's the same way that celebrities have been influencers forever. I mean, Marilyn Monroe had every woman buying Chanel perfume. You know, I think cool people are always going to serve as embodiments of the ideal that brands are trying to sell. So it's hard to imagine that they would stop utilizing this new kind of form of that.
I think you might be confusing influencers with cultural icons. Like, you really can't compare the two. But what happens when influencers turn into cultural icons? Like, the Kardashians are both. Not every influencer is a cultural icon, though. Yeah, but, you know, also I think our relationship with celebrities is adapting to our thirst for authenticity. I guess what I'm saying is, like, up until now, we've seen people of high influence affecting what people want. Now that so many people have high influence, it's easier for brands to penetrate than it was before. Like, why wouldn't that survive? You know, people were sick of celebrities and cultural icons selling them stuff before influencers existed, but they still fall for it to this day. The model of advertisement, I think, will only change if people stop giving into it, not just if people are complaining about it or making commentary about it or or all that. I think we're a long way away from it, but there is a tipping point to come eventually. But celebrities still sell us stuff. You know, I think the only way ads would stop using influencers is if influencers stop being relevant or able to influence. But if celebrities are still relevant, even with the advent of influencers, then who's to say that the next thing won't replace influencers? It it will just add to them. Right. So we're just going to keep getting new ways of being advertised to and exploited, not necessarily ways that replace each other. They're just going to tack on. Yes, exactly. Awesome. Um, but I do know what you mean, though. I think people are calling each other out more and they're getting more privy to the ways in which the Internet is used to override our autonomy or cross boundaries in like those insidious ways. Even with all the coquette stuff we've been talking about, I mean, you know, that started on Tumblr and there was far less criticism of it then than there is now because we've learned what harm it can do. You know, the repackaging of the Tradwife thing is definitely looked at with more skepticism now than it was in the 1950s when it first kind of became a thing. And that's, I think, because we have a greater diversity in voices now to comment on the problems with these things. It's not just white, cis, straight, pro-capitalist agendas with the platform anymore. We have the ability to respond. Yes, like, while there are a lot of women that fall into social conservatism through the dirtbag left pipeline or through the pursuit of a soft life, there's definitely a lot more people recognizing that these are forms of exploitation conducted by capitalism, misogyny, and white supremacy. And as I'm sure all of you guys have noticed, most of what we're talking about goes down on TikTok. Yeah, I definitely feel like the TikTok is getting worse in a lot of ways. Like, I get bored way more on it now. It's Mm -hmm. supposed to be powered by an algorithm that keeps me infinitely entertained, but recently it's been showing me shit that, like, I just don't care about. That doesn't pertain to me, like, at all like the whole reason i was able to do this episode is because i've been getting these fucking super straight white stay-at-home girlfriend videos <laughs> I, I wouldn't even know what soft living was if the <laughs> algorithm was doing its job yeah i definitely know what you mean you know sometimes i feel like the longer i'm on tiktok the less it actually knows me i hit like these little sweet spots where i get that perfect kind of content i want but then the longer i spend on the app the further away from my interests i get sometimes yeah, like it actually started to make me like insecure because when my For You page started to get more boring, I was like, why are my TikToks getting more boring? Am I getting more boring? That's like such a crazy thing to think. But yeah, yeah. it's like a crazy insecurity. I have, know, but, but, but I totally feel the same way. Like, you know, if this thing is a reflection of all of my data then am i deteriorating is my data bad am i bad i'm defined by my data right we have this false sense that we're in charge of what we're seeing we feel responsible for it in a way but in reality i think it's because they're not actually curating things for us as much as we think or maybe they are for a short while but that's just the bait ultimately they're trying to streamline us into a few different rabbit holes that lead us just to the targeted ads this idea is explored in this article by Cory Doctorow called the 
edification of TikTok or how exactly platforms die. So what exactly is enshittification? Because I like that word. I like that word too. So I'll read you the first line of this article because it explains, you know, what that word means pretty well. Um, but I definitely recommend reading the full article because Doctoro kind of illustrates how this has happened with Amazon and Google and Instagram. I mean, it's really interesting. But yeah, the first paragraph reads, here is how platforms die. First, they're good to their users. Then they abuse their users to make things better for the business customers. And finally, they abuse their business customers to claw back at the value for themselves. I call this enshittification. And it is a seemingly inevitable consequence arising from the combination of the ease of changing how a platform allocates value, combined with the nature of a two-sided market, where a platform sits between buyers and sellers, holding each hostage to each other, raking off an ever larger share of the value that passes between them. I've seen this happen with Uber and Uber Eats and Depop, like that slowly shaving off more and more of your profits or like making yeah. things more and more expensive slowly yeah. but surely as i mean it's actually kind of classic capitalism like when a certain company has a monopoly on an industry mm -hmm. they will start to abuse you because it's like i don't need to keep you here right You're you have here. to be here you have to be here um and you know that's exactly what we're seeing with tiktok like they were good to us, now they're abusing us. Because we're women, the algorithm is gonna abuse us in a women way. I'm sure if we were men, they would abuse us in a man way. They know we're already addicted. They don't need to entice us anymore. They got us addicted already. They bought us the dinner, now they're dropping our pants. Okay, well I hate that analogy, but yes. So we're just screwed into passively scrolling as they show us whatever they want. I think it's really easy to forget that we can have a relationship with the curation process. You know, of course, it's way easier to go on TikTok and just scroll. But if you find yourself getting a lot of content that doesn't pertain to you or that you feel is trying to push you through one of those rabbit holes, you can combat it by literally searching up the kind of stuff you're into and like seeking out information. I accidentally typed in Chicago into the search bar once and now I just get tons of videos about Chicago. Like it does <laughs> listen to you and kind of acclimate to your interests. So I think that's proof that you do have some kind of control of at least the search terms that organize your media. Yeah, maybe like being more active in our relationship with TikTok or social media in general instead of just letting the algorithm bring us whatever it wants. Yeah, like a cat with a dead mouse just clenched in its jaw. Like once a day just searching up something you're into can be a good idea just to reassert some control. Don't be afraid to use the not interested. Yeah, that's true. If you don't like something, if something's weird, press not interested. We can research things. We can look into things like they did at um, the libraries uh, I've heard of back before libraries were abolished. <laughs> it's too bad they burned all the books in the world and now all we have is tiktok mm -hmm, that's true i wish i knew what a book was yeah me too if anybody wants to tell me what a book is yeah. dm us yeah but yeah if you want better content you just have to look for it like people always have also uh stay informed ladies anti-intellectualism is not cute yes historically the easiest people to exploit are the ones that don't care or don't question don't fall for the traps we are better than that and that's not to say you can't experience being disaffected you know there are plenty of emerging pieces of media that surround that idea and are super interesting you know we've seen it before in media from the 90s like daria We've seen it recently and stuff like Fleabag, you know, those shows empathize with a disaffected woman. We're all disaffected women, no matter your gender. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, those those shows also call out the problems with existing as a disaffected woman. And that level of self-awareness is important. You know, there's there's a meta implication that the apathy was conquered 
in that the media exists at all. You can't make great art if you stop giving a fuck because you're tired. And the world needs great art to understand like what the real problems are underlying all of this. Uh, so true. I love Daria. I actually saw this TikTok by user Akil Vaidya that says Ice Spice is so popular right now because she raps in an almost disaffected way. Like it's very matter of fact and it draws you in and pushes you away with her tone. So Akil says... Ice Spice embodies this sort of dissociative feminine condition in her music and her persona that's indicated by the detachment and boredom and the irony that's dripping in all of her music. What's so exciting about Ice Spice is that she's not the usual archetype for this dissociative feminism. It's usually this pouty kind of privileged white girl. But Ice Spice takes those themes and combines it with drill music in such a refreshing way. Like, you can still make art and you can still embody the vibe of a culture and of the feminine attitude while also making an effort to have your voice heard. You know, of course, of course, in my opinion, that's going to be exemplified best in our current climate by an Afro-Dominican New Yorker. We love Ice Spice here. We do love Ice Spice. Friend of the pod, Ice Spice. Yes. She definitely has that coolness and that, like, being above things, but in a much chiller way than a lot of the other rappers we hear like she has nothing to prove because she speaks for herself how can i lose if i'm already chose like make art check your facts strive for media literacy yeah i believe ice spice also said all of that oh, yeah. <laughs> in, her, in her newest song uh, yeah. she did yeah don't fall victim to the false promises of choice feminism and never let your own pursuit of softness get in the way of pursuing an intersectional mentality and with that thank you all for listening be sure to follow us on instagram at what's gonna happen pod or on twitter at wgh pod and we're actually very excited to announce that we now have a patreon available so thank you to all of our patrons who have found their way to the site even before we've announced it we appreciate you guys so much and once we have a few more we might start reading your names at the end of the episodes we'll have some extra content up soon but for now you can access all of our episodes through there Yes, we will be recording some more casual, shorter episodes and posting those there. Um, that'll probably be a little later on, but for now, you can subscribe and get a monthly WGH sticker, uh, access to some of our writing, Q&A abilities, the option to submit prompts for episodes, and just some other really cool stuff. So please check it out. It's very exciting. And from the Kardashians' little house on the prairie photo shoot, this has been What's Gonna Happen. What's Gonna Happen?